And I'll begin with two stories from the uh, Fergus County newspapers. This one is from the uh, Fergus County Argus in 1908. While some of the Roundup boys were riding the range recently between Dog Creek and Armel's, they came upon a band of some 30-odd gray wolves that had surrounded a large steer, which they were apparently about to make a meal of. The boys charged upon the band with lariats in hand and by rapid riding and skillful use of the rope succeeded in capturing eight of the wolves and dragging them to death on the prairie. Now this is a story that one um, hears and sees a few representations of um, uh, in the late 19th century West and um, it's sometimes called sport with wolves. and. Um, I think it's uh, an interesting thing that, that tells us uh, something about attitudes towards wolves. If we uh, think of uh, wolves as the antagonists in a uh, rancher's um, uh, worldview, it makes perfect sense that they would kill wolves. But this way of killing them doesn't make sense. If you see 30 wolves, uh, get out your rifles, boys. But why do you ride and rope? You ride and rope to demonstrate mastery over those wolves. It's a psychological uh, mastery that is at stake here in this kind of activity. It demonstrates, in other words, the skill, the technique of the cowboys, at least as much as it's valued for killing wolves. Now, um, another story, 11 years later, in the Fergus County Democrat, and this story is sad. Bosco is dead. Bosco, the wolf mascot of the Lewistown Fire Department, died last night, and no doubt is chasing game in the happy hunting ground by now. Bosco was caught when a cub by Jim Alberry. More about him later, he turned in a lot of wolves for bounty in the breaks near the Judith River in 1914 and was sold to Bill Laycock, who in turn gave him to the local fire department for a mascot. He had become a great pet, at times showing off his wolf disposition, but he became quite a favorite with the fire boys. Bosco never failed to let out a howl of woe every time the big bell tolled the curfew, and no doubt the boys will miss him. So here we have two very different wolves, right? Um, by the way, Jim Alberry uh, could have turned in that uh, wolf pup for at least three dollars, uh, so he was foregoing some cash in order to turn that pet over to the fire department. And it raises the question that I find uh, the reason why I find wolves so interesting. Uh, they are a symbolic animal for us. Uh, they tell us uh, much about ourselves, I think in some ways a mirror for us, and we have very two very different understandings of the wolf as a, as a biological creature, as you can see from these uh, billboards. Uh, they might be a, a threat, they might even eat that nice uh, cute little girl on the swing, uh, or maybe we'll go to the reality check and see that they don't kill anybody, uh, at least have not lately. So, they, they're this um, animal, animal of tremendous symbolic importance uh, to us. 
And that's what I find uh, interesting about them. The other thing to say is why Fergus County, and this is somewhat by accident. Now, Fergus County is a good place to study this because Fergus County is in the center of the state, as you see. And Fergus County uh, is not only the geographical, but is in the center of wolf country. We'll see. Help. Pretend there's a map up there and take my word for it. Uh, Fergus County is in the geographical center of the state and it's also in the center of uh, wolf country, um, as I will show. Um, but there's another important reason why uh, this presentation is about um, Fergus County, and that is that uh, Zane Fulbright from Lewistown um, gave me a wonderful opportunity a few years back. He uh, is often a, a presenter and attender at these conferences, and so some of you may know him. And um, he knew of my interest in wolves and thought of me when he had an unusual circumstance. It turns out the dump truck was um, behind the county courthouse in Lewistown, and they were removing some files from the attic. And two local historians said, uh, wait a minute what's in those files from the attic of the courthouse. Oh, just old stuff. And they immediately um, made sure that we got, uh, that all of that was saved and uh, cataloged. And he said to me, would you like to have these wolf bounty records that have lived for decades in the courthouse attic? And so I, I thought this was a wonderful opportunity. And so that's why um, this focuses on Fergus County. Give that a try. There we are. How's that? That's the Cowboys roping a wolf. Interested in what you see there, but it, this I think helps to make the point about the Cowboys' uh, mastery of the animal. And here we have the sort of two <coughs> visions of wolves. These are these images are both just drawn almost at random from internet pictures of wolves. And is it that snarling predator who's about to eat you and everything you love and everyone you love? Or is it that nice little Bosco, almost a, a dog? And uh, there we have them. It's, it's that little girl I'm worried about. <laughs> and here is the, uh, in red, Fergus County, you see the geographical center. It's also, uh, by the way, a good uh, place to study because of the diverse uh, terrain. We have the Missouri Breaks, we have the Little Snowies, and a lot of uh, grassland, benchland, and some uh, riparian areas in there as well. So it's a diverse habitat. There are a lot of wolves in Fergus County, and we can start with uh, Lewis and Clark as kind of a baseline for this. Um, in the journals of Lewis and Clark, um, there are 95 days on which they mention seeing wolves. 
And 80-some um, of those days, that is about 90% of those, happened between roughly um, the great, uh, the, the east, um, central Dakotas and Great Falls. That is to say, on the Great Plains. Um, if we take the, the journals as an indication, the, the wolves were very much a prairie animal. And that's especially true of this wolf, which Lewis, uh, just as it turns out on May 5th, just as they were about to enter Fergus County, what became Fergus County, this is the first description, the first time it's clear that Lewis understood the difference between what we would call a coyote and, and a wolf. This is the small wolf or burying dog of the prairies. And I don't expect you to read all of that, but I put it all there to see that Lewis, in fact, was a pretty good naturalist, and that some of those descriptions um, are fairly accurate. And then here is the large wolf, Canis lupus nubulus, if you care, it's sometimes called the buffalo wolf, and now extinct subspecies. And I wanted to point out just a couple. I'm sorry. Point out. Point it toward the computer. Probably. There you go. Yeah. Oh. Uh, the color. They're most. They're often very white. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. You might want to stay close, though. I mean, <laughs> um, and uh, the, the color is largely white. They're on the plains. Um, and um, you see that we never scarcely see a gang of buffalo without observing a parcel of those faithful shepherds on their skirts in readiness to care of the maimed and wounded. Uh, I rather like that image of the faithful shepherds. Uh, now, the um, wolves of both kinds, again, I want to emphasize this, in the journals, once they get to the Great Falls, they hardly see any the rest of the way until they get back to Great Falls or approximately uh, living, Livingston on the return journey. The wolves are very much an animal of the plains, not an animal of the mountains in this time. There you can see what they um, might have looked like. Um, that's a wolf. It's not entirely safe attacking buffalo. But there those faithful shepherds are. Now, as a few days uh, later, as they were leaving, a few weeks later, as they were leaving what's now Fergus County, they came upon this uh, situation. The remains of a number of buffalo which have been driven down a cliff rocks, upwards of a hundred of these animals must have perished. Great numbers of wolves were about this place and very gentle. That's very gentle wolves. I killed one with my spear. Might have looked something like this. This is um, uh, the artist rendition of a buffalo jump and so they were um, fat and happy wolves feeding on the carcasses of buffalo. Again, I want to emphasize the close ecological connection of the two species. 
Now, after that, we have a number of uh, mid-century reports of wolves that um, the best one is probably here from uh, Luther Yellowstone Kelly, and uh, he uh, reports that he went in 1875 to the um, Fergus County region, he doesn't call it Fergus County, but that's where it was, and spent a winter uh, hunting wolves. So he was a wolfer for uh, one winter. He says that the best wolves were near Flat Willow Creek. Some were pure white, others different shades of cream, the full-grown ones being the very largest size. Man has nothing to fear from the score of wolves in this region. And um, he may have lived in a cabin, something like this. This is an L.A. Huffman uh, interior of a wolf's, wolfer's cabin. You see it's fairly, um, you know, a stove, a chair, a bed, fairly uh, limited and uh, perhaps uncomfortable facilities. As a wolfer, he uh, would find a buffalo carcass, or perhaps kill a buffalo to, to make a carcass, and then um, just put strychnine, little balls of strychnine in the carcass, and uh, then return in two or three days. This is a winter pursuit because he wanted it to be cold so the uh, wolves would freeze, the wolves would eat the buffalo carcasses, and then die by the scores. Upwards of 50 wolves in one... Uh, one encounter. And um, again, there are lots of wolfers, by the way, who um, reinforce this notion that wolves were harmless to humans. There's one wolfer who was uh, near the Prior Mountains here um, who said that while he was placing strychnine in the carcass, he saw he was surrounded by about 50 wolves. So what did he do? He stood up and waved his hand, and they all ran away. Now all this changed in the 1880s with the uh, demise of the buffalo. This is another L.A. Huffman photo that gives you a sense of that uh, buffalo slaughter. And that, uh, for our purposes, raises the question, what's a poor hungry wolf to do? It seems likely that uh, the, buffalo, uh, the wolf populations actually increased a little bit in the 1880s because there was so much readily available food, all these uh, bison carcasses left on the prairie. and. Um, in his stead, cattlemen moved in. By 1884, there were at least 100,000 head of cattle in Fergus County. And by 1890, there were about five times that many sheep in Fergus County, and sheep became the largest um, economic driver of county development. Um, your eyes are not getting that bad, don't worry. The picture is blurry, and that's, again, my technical limitations. I couldn't get it both large and unblurry. Granville Stewart, uh, who uh, was well known in Fergus County, uh, said that wolves, along with uh, bad weather, were some of the main obstacles. Quote, we are poisoning them, but they are hard to thin out. Stewart said that ranchers lost 5% of their uh, cattle to wolves. Other people put the number as high as 30%. And this uh, iconic picture everyone recognizes, yes? Did you pay attention to this part before? Wolves are, in this uh, Charlie Russell um, um, painting, are the um, 
associated with the bad weather that is with uh, death and desolation. They have that, um, that connotation. Um, if you look, though, um, at the wolves, let's look at a wolf's eye view of this. Uh, what are they doing? The same thing they were doing in that earlier photograph, sitting around waiting for that big bovine to fall down so they can have a meal. The bovine is now a cow instead of a bison, but the wolf behavior is, uh, is the same. So during the 1880s, uh, starting as early as the 1860s, there were a lot of wolfers, and here's one that's not Fergus County, but um, you can see that what their life must have been like for these wolfers. There's their, the stash, and he's out in the winter on the prairie of Montana. And again, doing just as Yellowstone Kelly did, poisoning uh, bison carcasses with strychnine, and um, then collecting the dozen to 50 wolves that would show up around. Um, I, I, I have to, I have a dog at home. Uh, you have to notice the dog in these old pictures. There's always a dog. Um, and uh, maybe that's significant when we're talking about people who make a living hunting wolves and their best friend is the cousin of the wolf. But again, you see a fairly primitive living. And these wolfers had a, a bit of a bad reputation in Fergus County and elsewhere. They were um, sometimes um, considered to be uh, lazy and layabouts, uh, people who couldn't find a better job during the winter months. And um, they also probably did a lot of collateral damage because all that strychnine on the prairie also killed dogs and sometimes domestic, other domestic animals of value. So in the 1880s, there developed this idea that there should be a different way of dealing with wolves because the wolfers were not sufficient to eliminate them. And so we get a bounty system that developed. Now, a bounty system, we use the word in, in uh, two main ways. One is uh, if we put a bounty on a person, and uh, the other is to put a bounty on an animal. And it turns out the, the meaning is uh, related. Um, I had opportunity to try to figure out where bounties came from, and I traced them back to if you can believe this, more than a millennium ago in um, old Ang Anglo-Saxon England. Anglo-Saxon kings would put a bounty on a person which was referred to as putting the wolf's head on the person. And that meant that person was outside the protection of the law. Therefore, you could do whatever you wanted to that person. They, at the same time, also put a bounty on certain animals, especially wolves. And usually, in the case of the Anglo-Saxon kings, that meant they would give a few of their friends a large grant of land in exchange for eliminating all the wolves on that land. And so what this represents, I think, is a public-private partnership. That is, uh, killing wolves under a bounty system, I think, is different than killing wolves under a wolf-hunting system like the wolfers had. They're, they're hunting for profit. This is now a public purpose. And uh, you see that especially in the language that began to be used. This is a war against the wolves. Now, when people look at the language of the war against the wolves, they often think well, that's about slaughter. That's a justification for uh, the, the, the level of killing that's going to happen. But it also 
commands a public purpose, that this is larger than somebody's private interest. We now have the interests of the entire society at, at, large, at stake here. And what we're doing with this bounty system is trying to um, create a pastoral landscape. Uh, so we now have not just hunting wolves for profit in that, um, that earlier landscape, but a landscape that we're trying to make safe for domestic animals that is trying to make safe for, well, the civilization that was, uh, that was the self-defined civilization that was entering the, the country. This, and the bounties, of course, go back to 1637 in Massachusetts Bay Colony. Bounties were one of the first things that legislatures did in Utah and in Oregon. It seems to announce we who protect private property and see private property livestock as a fundamental right of a civilized area will now put our public purposes and our public treasury to the protection of that property. This is a civic duty now. James Fergus uh, thought the stock uh, uh, the Stock Association should offer a bounty and lobby for the state to uh, have a bounty. And we get then in 1895, well in 1883 there was a first bounty system. The 83 system lasted five years until it was too expensive and the legislature disbanded it. And then in 1895 is when the bounty records that I have begin. And here you see um, uh, Fergus County here, um, the colored bars are just different years and you see Fergus County compared to the different um, counties nearby. Notice that all these counties are in the west, Fergus County is, that is in the center. It's not the most wolf populated, but it is uh, among the most uh, wolf populated counties in the state. And all the ones with more wolves are in the east and the north. Put another way, uh, this is what you have. Uh, and this is based on the records uh, of the wolf bounty records in Helena. Almost all of the wolves that were bounty are bounted in the North Prairie or the South Prairie, only 2% in the mountain states. And I'm counting mountain here, anything east of Yellowstone County and anything east of Great Falls, uh, west of Great Falls and west of Yellowstone County. This is exactly where Lewis and Clark found the wolves. So with the bounty law, we get many scouts are now being brought in. Scouts, in case you're wondering, is a language that is used a lot in, in wolf bounties as it could be in other situations that are uh, even less pleasant perhaps. And that was an indication that they were to cut off the skin and include the ears, and that would be evidence of a dead animal. And so the uh, bounty business was uh, good in the first years. It encouraged lots and lots of uh, serious uh, wolf hunters. The, the old wolf hunters went back to work and um, they um, killed uh, thousands of wolves. And in the first uh, six to seven years of the bounties, about 27 uh, about eight, uh, excuse me, about five percent of the uh, bounty claimants brought in over two thirds of the wolves. That is, bounty hunting for wolves was a serious professional activity involving expertise, and it was something people did for a livelihood.
That had the effect of dramatic reductions in the number of bounty claims as the 20th century emerged. And so it looks at face value, at least like the Fergus County wolf bounty system was successful in eliminating wolves from the landscape. I say that though with two caveats. One is it is about the same time, about 1901, when homesteaders began to flow into the county. And that changed the landscape and reduced the food supply. And wolves are known to be uh, creatures that will limit their litter so, uh, size if there is limited food supply. So that was also a problem. And then this is the other thing. Those small wolves, those burying wolves of the prairie that Lewis talked about, declined and then stabilized and are still there. In fact, clearing out the ecological space for those large wolves created more ecological space for coyotes. And coyotes, in the absence of wolves, have expanded from coast to coast, uh, quite literally, uh, Manhattan Central Park to Los Angeles. They're still there and apparently not going anywhere. So. What can the bounties uh, tell us about society in Fergus County? Well, one is, um, this is an ad that is recurring in the paper and I think is an indication of the fact that we have lots and lots of um, uh, amateurs doing this. Uh, that is, people who are not professional wolf hunters who are looking for an alternative to strychnine. The bounty fund always had problems uh, because it was chronically underfunded, people could not collect their bounty money. So if you had a $3 bounty or a $5 bounty, you couldn't collect that actual money. You got a certificate, which then often worked as cash. You could take the certificate to the store, buy groceries, take it to the saloon, buy beer, and the person who then collected those certificates might in two years be able to actually collect on it. And the... <coughs> Stockman argued constantly for higher uh, bounty uh, rates and was successful at raising the price from three to five to ten dollars over the years. But with higher prices came more and more fraud as people substituted coyotes or even large dogs for wolf pelts and as people brought in wolf pelts from surrounding states or provinces where the price was lower. As you see, they couldn't pay, and there was a chronic fraud in the system. Now, this is what the actual records look like, and just a, quick, a few very quick here. Here's James Aubrey, who I mentioned earlier, and his friend, Frank Hartskill. Um, Frank was killed, uh, well, he first killed somebody who everybody in the county seemed to think needed to be killed. Uh, that's more or less what the newspaper said, and he was exonerated. Seven years later, he was murdered and his friend, uh, they, these two appear in the bounty books often. They were written uh, adjacent ranchers, and his friend, uh, Albury, uh, was supposed to appear to the grand jury, but according to the newspaper, was uh, so super inundated with liquid refreshment that his testimony was a little wobbly. <laughs> William Hooper, the very first name in the bounty books was a saloon owner in um, Stanford nearby, and probably did not collect these wolves, but was an example of the uh, businessman who collected the bounty certificates and later turned them in. And finally, the records have a few 
familiar names. That one you recognize, I think, maybe. Known better by his nickname, Teddy Blue. Teddy Blue Abbott is in the Bounty Records um, a number of times. So he's, he's an example of somebody who did well to create a little extra cash for himself. And uh, the Bounty Records uh, certainly did that. Um, thank you.